Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would impact our hearts, um, that your spirit would fill us and convict us and change us uh, in a way that only you can, that it would not be through our own efforts or our own power, our own trying, uh, but that it would be merely the result of your love and your influence on our hearts and our souls and our minds. In your holy name we pray, amen. Okay. Did any of you, I genuinely want to raise of hands here, have a pen pal at any point when you were growing up as a kid? Thank you, a few people. It's a dying art. It's a lost form. Now we have the internet, so the novelty is kind of lost. Um, yeah, I feel like it used to be pretty commonplace uh, to write letters, handwrite letters, and mail them to someone that you didn't really know and certainly had never met. That was kind of the point. Um, for years when I was a kid, we wrote letters back and forth to a family in Russia. Now in retrospect, it, I was asking my mom about this and she was like, yeah, some people were not excited, you know, in the 80s and early 90s to hear we were corresponding with Russians. Um, but uh, it was just a husband and wife, very normal family. They had one daughter. Uh, and we grew to know a lot about them and they grew to know a lot about us. Um, and it was a really sad thing when one day we got a letter and the husband had decided to leave. So now we were just corresponding with the wife and the daughter. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely sad. It was impactful for me. I still remember that. Um, and part of this correspondence might seem very normal, as I said before, um, to talk to somebody who's a world away um, just because of the, our online presence. It's just normal and easy. Um, and yeah, corresponding with someone we live far away from now is standard. In many cases, you call the help desk and you talk to somebody who literally lives on the other side of the world in many cases. Um, but I would propose there's something different about handwriting a letter to someone and opening up to the point where you might share something as deep as this family did share with us, where the husband just decides one day, I'm out of here, and now you're just going to correspond with us, a wife and um, a daughter. So as this Christmas season fades into memory, I haven't even bothered to handwrite or mail a single thank you note, despite many very nice gifts that I did receive. Uh, I didn't write anything to my mom or my grandparents. Um, yeah, and it, it just, as we look at this passage today, that's essentially what we're engaging with, is a pen pal letter. So I want you to keep that in mind as we dive into this. Um, but my question to us as a group, as a church, is why would this matter to you and I today, here and now, and the beauty of what Dan just read us in Colossians on page 10, what is it, 1015, um, is that this is God's word. And even though this letter was written in a pen pal form, 
uh, to a church about 2,000 years ago, it is just as instructive and applicable to our little church here today on the other side of the world from Colossae, where this was written. Um, It's just as instructive and applicable to us as it was to them and the church that it was originally addressed to. Epaphras that it mentions uh, in that last or second to last verse um, is a native Colossian. And um, Paul and Timothy are his friends. They are the authors and they're writing to this church even though they've never been there. They don't know any of the folks that they are addressing except for perhaps just Epaphras if he's there when they read it. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind as we dig through this today. Uh, The first verse in our passage, verse 3, says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul and Timothy are thankful to God, the Father, for this church community that they have never interacted with. So my first point today is simply that we at Christ Church must cultivate a posture of thanksgiving. Uh, It's the third posture in our liturgy every week when we do up, down, up. That up, that their second up is thanksgiving. Um, And the common ground here between Paul and the Colossians is Epaphras, this one guy. Um, And he likely became a Christian upon hearing the gospel from Paul and or Timothy during his travels elsewhere, likely in Ephesus. Um, So this man, this normal guy, is the link, and yet he's enabled Paul and Timothy to rejoice alongside this church, to always be thankful uh, to God when they pray for this church. Epaphras is not a super apostle. Um, we often tend to think of Paul or Timothy. We, you know, we put him on this pedestal. But Epaphras is just a guy who is being faithful. And today I'd like to explore how it's God's faithfulness through one obedient person that can blossom into something great. In this case, he just goes to Colossae, his hometown, shares this good news, and a church, an entire church, springs up and blossoms as a result of his faithfulness. Back to the main focus of this particular verse in three, Uh, it's a great reminder for us to be praying for churches Uh, Like our sister church in the UK, we've had them pray for us on the screen before, uh, and we have prayed for them historically, but it's something that easily slips out of mind because they're not in our faces every week. Uh, And yet they are still over there a few hours ahead of us praising God um, on Sunday mornings, and very much like us, we would go there and feel right at home, um, which is a beautiful thing. So I tend to focus on what's right in front of me and lose sight of what is not. But it's healthy for us to take a step back back and and think about the bigger picture, to be reminded of the bigger picture of God's work and God's church that is present across the world in every time zone. We aren't alone, 
and we can be thankful for a church that is right down the road or across an ocean um, because these people are our brothers and sisters and they are able to support us um, tangibly or just via prayer and vice versa um, with encouragement, uh, even from a great distance. So Paul and Timothy are outlining for us the specific reasons for their gratitude in the next verse, verse four, which says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Paul and Timothy are thankful to God because they heard from Epaphras about the Colossians' faith. So he's gone there, started a church, and then come back to tell Paul and Timothy. And the resulting love that the Colossian church has for all of God's people, i.e. the saints that Ken referenced last week when he talked about St. Nelson, who is tragically not present today. Um, But I read a good quote uh, about this idea of sainthood and our belief. Um, It's from N.T. Wright. And he says, belief, if genuine, is more than just a mental assent to truths. And I appreciate Clint uh, earlier in the liturgy talking about this. It's not just thinking something and saying, yep, it's a fact or it's true. That's not what N.T. Wright is referencing here. When he says belief, it's more than a mental assent. He goes on to say, for Paul in this context, it is a sure sign of grace at work in the fact uh, Sorry, the sure sign of grace at work was the fact of a loving community created out of nothing, of a love not restricted to those with whom one has a natural affinity, but which extends to all the saints. So not even just our church locally here, this particular body of believers, but at large. And in the context of Colossae, they are loving the church immediate and those churches around them. So our church must commit beyond natural affinities. How many of us have a friend from a sports team that we do not keep in touch with anymore? Uh, Even when something has more significant affinity, like blood relation, um, sometimes those relationships even crumble. And we as a church body must be here for each other, loving each other and supporting each other in tangible ways, even when all those other things break down. Uh, Think about another example being classmates. How many of you still keep in touch with somebody from grade school or high school or college? Uh, any, Any of these things may break down. I was thinking it over for myself and this natural affinity that I had in college or in um, my master's, I don't talk to anyone consistently from my master's degree. And that's the most near-term education that I have. And that, you know, it was only a few years ago. So these things naturally break down, this affinity breaks down. But the point being that we can't be like that. We can't just fall apart and, oh, pickleball, it's over. Is there a pickleball season? I don't think there is, but the, the entire point being, we've got to go a lot deeper than school or a sport or um, even to the point of 
our family. It is possible, as N.T. Wright pointed out, to say that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins, but take it no further than that. Uh, That wouldn't qualify for Paul as faith. If the Colossians only loved each other in this insular group, but nobody outside of that, there would be a question of what they really believed. Do they believe in God, or is this just a a club, a social group, a gathering? Um, If we say or think the right things about Jesus, but it doesn't motivate us to action as a result of understanding God's love, if we aren't bearing fruit, that's a good clue that something isn't right. Epaphras got it, and he couldn't help but spread the wealth to his friends and family back home. So if we turn now to land on more practical notes, what would it look like for us to cultivate a posture of thankfulness like we're seeing in these first couple of verses? Maybe like the pen pal example that I started with, uh, we could write a letter. Maybe it looks like actually going up to someone and saying thank you. A couple weeks ago when Bill was here and he gave us all our red uh, poker chips or sobriety chips. (laughs) Those are not the most church things, I guess, sobriety or I guess it could be, but... Gambling, certainly not, (laughs) but to actually go up and say thank you or write a note, um, that could be an example we take away from this passage this morning. Um, Maybe it's writing a journal entry um, to yourself as a reminder for what you're thankful for so that on a rough day or in a rough season, you can actually look back and think about God's provision in a time of plenty. And you can reference that when... You're in a dry patch. Uh, Maybe it's writing a letter to a fellow Christian or maybe someone in this room um, just to give them some tangible encouragement. Uh, Maybe it means, yeah, just telling somebody. Um, I wrote a letter years ago that I had totally forgotten to a coworker just saying thank you for helping me out with, you know, this work that we were doing. And years later... I got a text, she had retired, and she said, oh, hey, I still have this note, thanks, I kept it all these years. And I I hadn't even remembered I had written it, and yet it meant something to her, and years later it popped back up. Um, And I was thinking, I need to just write letters to people I'm thankful to here in church. I'm very thankful to Ken or to Clint as obvious examples, Um, and some of you more subtly, uh, but I've never written a letter to any of you. except for maybe in the starting pages of a book, and that's a little different. But you get my point. So we'll move on from here to my second point, Um, and that is going from a posture of thankfulness to a posture of hope. Paul, as the primary author of this letter, um, goes on in verse 5, to say that the Colossians' faith and love are refreshed and springing up from their hope in heaven. So that posture of hope is originating from their hope in heaven. They have a future to look forward to, and that is feeding into their faith and their love. So my second point 
this morning is that we can cultivate this posture of hope. Uh, The Colossians were aware of this treasure that's stored up for them. And immediately my mind went to um, when Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19, when he says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, where rust isn't breaking things down. Uh, So this concept is it can't be stolen. It's, you know, uh, something that is stored up where God is protecting it, and it's not here and now. And when we consider that, um, the Colossians' treasure is safeguarded by God, and they're able to operate out of a worldview of abundance uh, rather than scarcity as a result. So they're not concerned about holding on to, oh, I've got this money, or I've got this food, or I've got safety. Uh, but rather, they're saying, my hope is in Jesus, my hope is in heaven, and everything here and now is just something given to me by God, and I can be generous with it, which is absolutely beautiful. And that is something that we can look to as we consider the hope laid up for us in heaven. Uh, One of my favorite living Christians, um, Andrew Peterson, has a quote that I read this week that struck a chord here. He says, remember that work and play and suffering and celebration are all sentences in a good story being told by God, a story arcing its way to a new creation. This, in my mind, points to the hope that Paul is referencing to the Colossians, that driving goal of their faith, this new heaven and new earth uh, that followers of Christ have to look forward to. So I appreciate that Andrew Peterson here includes suffering on this list. It isn't just work and play and celebration that are sentences, but suffering is one of the sentences um, in this good story that God is writing. And these all point to the prize, um, but it includes the bad times, the here and now. And God is weaving it all together, and we can trust in that, that he sees that bigger picture than we do. And I'm not saying that it's easy to trust God when we're suffering, but we can trust that he knows what we need. And if it were all sunshine and roses now, we would not have a lot of need for faith or for hope. So turning to application for us today, um, what would it look like for us at CCLA to cultivate a posture of hope? In verse five, he says um, that their hope is stored up in heaven and this helps motivate their faith and love. And so we can remind each other Um, that these things cannot be taken from us. This is a healthy exercise in exposing and tearing down our idols. Um, If we have a bad week and something is taken from us, whether it might be our job or a loved one or um, something much more minor than those things, um, we can turn and remind each other that our hope is ultimately in God. That doesn't mean that we flippantly 
turn away from our lament um, or from mourning. Uh, But even in the midst of those things, we can say, hey, this, this thing got torn away from me, but it just exposes all the more my need for God and that all of my hope has to rest in him. So when our hope rests in a relationship or in our bank account or in our good health, um, a time of sickness or when some of these things are threatened is a great reminder that our hope should only reside in heaven and with God and not on earthly things. Moving on from there to our third point today, our last point, um, we've looked at a posture of thankfulness and a posture of hope. And lastly, we'll look at a posture of faith. And our example of that will be Epaphras. Uh, We'll move to verse six. And that simply says, it's kind of an odd last bit. If you look in your Bibles, it says, that has come to you. This gospel has come to you. Um, And then it goes on to continue. But uh, that gospel is personified here in this passage. It's an entity when Paul is writing that has sought them out. Um, The person of the gospel sought them. And um, the gospel, of course, is the person of Christ. Um, In this case, it's embodied in one simple man being Epaphras. He is just a person like you or I, as I mentioned before, but he's filled with the Spirit and faithful to spread the good news. So my point, my third point this morning is that we can cultivate a posture of tangible faith. Paul and Timothy encouraged the Colossians by saying this is happening all over. It's not isolated to the church in Colossae. Um, So they can rejoice, um, even though they are isolated in some sense. Um, But they can know that they are not alone. They aren't, um, what they've experienced isn't just happening with them, but it's happening all over. The gospel's bearing fruit like love and joy and peace that it points to um, in this passage, and it is growing. So they can be encouraged knowing that it's happening elsewhere. It isn't dependent upon them. They don't have to grip on and muster everything that they have um, to try and make it work. Um, But they are, as a result, free to love, to operate out of that, um, that mindset of abundance rather than scarcity. It stands to reason that if you're unable to understand or unwilling to receive God's grace, you wouldn't be able to bear fruit and grow. So if we, by God's work, are able to grasp what Jesus has done on our behalf, we won't be able to help but bear fruit and tell others about Jesus, to have that faith and give it to other people. The grace of God has many effects upon our lives, But I really, really like the quote um, as verse six continues. Um, There's a commentator named Scott Pace who addresses one effect in particular. And he says, our appreciation of God's grace is directly proportional to the understanding of our need for it. And when we are mindful 
of our own undeserving nature, we will be more aware of the desperate need of the lost world around us to hear the truth of God that is the gospel message. So Epaphras clearly understands his need for God's grace, which drives us then to verse 7. And verse 7 says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. He brought this good news of the gospel with him during his travels and was faithful relaying it to the people of his hometown. And I want this to be a reminder that all it takes is one of us sharing with one other person. We just need to be faithful and excited about this good news that we have in us. Uh, Another N.T. Wright quote, uh, my last one for the day, that corresponds with this says, no mere human affection is this. It's a love which, created by the spirit of God's own love, becoming their own through the miracle of grace, enables them to give to one another that love which can be recognized by its likeness to God's own act of love on Calvary. So all of this just points to Jesus on the cross, and it is a supernatural motivation, the spirit empowering us to spread that love, the spirit empowering Epaphras to spread this good news to his brothers and sisters, his coworkers, his family. This love of the Holy Spirit is a theme like thankfulness or peace or hope or grace from this passage this morning that weaves its way through the entire letter of the Colossians. And it points us to Jesus' death on the cross, the payment of our sins and the reconciliation that it enables us um, then to draw close to God. It empowers us to selflessness to genuine care and concern for others, and it enables us to be simply and purely thankful like Paul and Timothy at the start of this passage. It enables us to hope, and it is the basis of our faith. So, if you do not yet believe in Jesus, or if your belief is the mere mental assent that N.T. Wright mentioned earlier, um, let us know. We would love to talk with you. Um, And the rest of us who do believe um, always can stand for a good reminder of what it is that we do believe. Um, It's always a daily thing to remind yourself of the gospel. And my wife does a good job of saying, yep, I have to preach the gospel to myself daily. And it's a good reminder for me that I need it. So whether it's the first time today or... um, You've been doing it for hundreds or thousands of days. We all need that gospel message every day. And this allows us to operate out of the power of the Spirit, and then we can go and bear fruit as a result of the love that we've received through Jesus. So, my final application, how can we cultivate a posture of faith here at CCLA? How does this get us beyond pickleball, beyond our old school friends, um, beyond a superficial or social group that gathers here every Sunday. Let's circle back to Epaphras and we'll look at what he did to cultivate a posture of faith because he gets it. His faith was such that he couldn't hold back. He had to go and tell his friends 
Um, and it's motivated in God's grace and that gospel message that he received from Timothy and from Paul. Inside of this faith, he is a saint, as Ken referenced last week. Um, and as a result, what springs up but an entire growing and thriving little church in Colossae that was probably similar in size to what we have here, seated in our humble little church this morning. So we can think about each of us being a saint, um, and it might not feel normal. Does it think, you know, when you think of your name, saint, whoever you are, does that sound normal to you? Oftentimes, like I said before, we think of oh, St. Paul or St. Timothy, these people who we've elevated um, because of their place in the Bible, when in fact, every one of us gets robes of white because of what Jesus did on our behalf. So I can think of myself as St. Cameron, even though that's very unnatural. <laughs> unnatural. I don't embrace that. I don't think of, oh, I'm a saint and just own it naturally every day. It's something I actually have to dwell on and think through. It's a conscious decision. So we can think about ourselves being saints, um, but saints have jobs. We have commissions. We have a mission. And if the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, we can't keep him to ourselves. We have a joy and a charge to bring things, um, to take that third posture of our liturgy, thankfulness, and then it rotates us naturally to our fourth posture, being sent out, whether that's preaching it to yourself or preaching it to your brother or sister in Christ or preaching it to someone who doesn't know. Uh, so that's the reason we gather each week, each week to celebrate. So in closing, I'd like to encourage you to start this week with thankfulness. If you need to, like me, be intentional about this, that's okay. I was thinking through this passage this morning, and I encourage you, keep reading through Colossians. Just read the first chapter um, this week again. But I was thinking... What would it look like if being thankful sprung up from me as naturally as frustration or as naturally as anger crops up from me? Um, I was like, those things just pop up so easily. What if thanksgiving or faith or hope or love or peace or joy or graciousness just sprung up in the... In, the place of anger or frustration. And I was like, I would love that, but that would very evidently be the work of God in my heart <laughs> and very much be the work of God in my life. So I can ask him for that. And this letter is a good reminder. This Pentel letter is a good reminder to think about and pray about and ask for things that don't come naturally to you. Um, it's not natural for me to think about our brothers and sisters in the UK in that church or even brothers and sisters down the street in another church. And yet it's an overwhelming sense of thanksgiving and prayer from Paul and Timothy that they're just thankful in their prayer every time they pray for this church in Colossae. So if we're uh, needing to be a little bit more intentional about 
cultivating that posture in our own lives and our posture as a church as a whole, um, it doesn't make it inauthentic. It doesn't need to just pop up naturally for you. It doesn't mean that we're off the hook in actually trying to um, orient our lives towards Christ and his example. What we're going for, and I'll always quote this in the words of Eugene Peterson, is a long obedience in the same direction. And that direction is Jesus's kingdom. It's the hope that Paul points to as a motivating factor for the Colossians and for himself and for Epaphras and for Timothy. They're all looking to the same thing and it doesn't change from back then to now. Whether it was 30 years as the Colossians, you know, this letter is about 30 years after Jesus, um, or 2,000 years, it's the same object of our faith. It doesn't change. In closing, if you frequently use our connection cards, great. We love that. We love hearing your requests, and we love praying for you. But these are also for praising God and thanking him for any number of things. So I encourage you now, pick one up, hold it in your hand, and jot down a few things that you might be thankful for this morning. Um, and if something doesn't readily come to mind, that's a sign that you probably could use some work in this area. And I know it's not the most natural thing for me. Oftentimes, it could, you could easily fill this out with things that you are requesting from God, petitions, which is fine. But sometimes praise and thanksgiving, the things that you're happy for, in the moment you can be happy, say, oh, this is great. Hopefully you remember to thank God or praise him for those things. Um, but then you move on and it's easier to just go to the next, what's my next need? Um, but I encourage you to pick up this card today and think about filling it out with praise. Think about filling it out with things that you are thankful for. Um, and it could be something really simple. Start with something like, I'm thankful for the breath in my lungs today, that I woke up today, that I had food on my table, even if it was just enough for today. And then dwell upon what it might be like to go or to be like without those things. And that can help start generating this culture of thankfulness, um, this posture that we definitely have in this church, but we can always use more of. Ruminate on these things that you're thankful for today or throughout your week, uh, and then hopefully that'll expand your thanks to other areas to where, like Paul, you're thankful for Christian brothers and sisters around the corner or around the world, um, and any number of other things um, that we can be thankful to God for. So, please bow your heads with me, and we will thank God for his generosity this morning. Father, thank you this morning for the Colossians. We thank you for this letter that is as applicable to us today in our little church as it was 2,000 years ago to their little church. We thank you for the example of Epaphras and his giving the gospel message to his home city. And 
I pray that we would be bold in sharing your good news um, with those around us. Help us to share with our neighbors and our family. Help us to be bold um, and not ashamed, but to be um, deeply convicted in our hearts of your goodness and uh, help our speaking of you to overflow from that. Thank you for your son. And we thank you for this church. In your holy name we pray, amen.